Hi there, everyone. This is Fox News Rup Raj on the October 6th edition of Let It Rip. Things got really heated as the two sides battled it out talking about Sean Fain and the UAW. Is he bargaining in good faith and are the big three really giving up what they can to make life better for these workers? We're taking a closer look. And with that, let's let it rip. So it's time to let it rip with Auto Lines. John McElroy, really the dean of anything auto in this great city. Republican presidential candidate Perry Johnson, former Detroit Police Chief Ralph Godby, Trump supporters for Vivek leader Brian Pennebacher, and Detroit City Council member Mary Waters. Good to see all of you here today on Let It Rip. Uh, thank you for joining us. I want to begin by showing you a tweet that uh, Mr. Sean Fain put out uh, kind of in advance of his Friday announcement. And this tweet basically shows uh, these three bachelors, if you will, with a, a logo plastered on their face, GM, Ford, Stellantis, and he, he's basically saying, hey, who am I going to give the rose to on Friday? Uh, when you take a look at this, uh, is this more dirty fighting with the UAW and the big three, or is this actually, do you think, a peace offering? Uh, Councilwoman Waters, what do you see when you see that kind of a tweet put out there? What can we expect tomorrow, Friday? Um, well, I think the person that deserves the roles would be the person that actually has been bargaining in good faith. So whoever that is, we don't know, but right now it seems, appears to be Ford. You believe it could be Ford? I believe it could be. We have so many good opinions sitting up here, but I want to go right to, as I call him, the dean of autos in Detroit, John McElroy. Uh, it seems as though all three of them are making an effort, but you have been hearing a lot about Ford, yes, with their new offer of 20%, no tears. But Stellantis seems to be the one that, that he's holding the punches back. Uh, the most with, right? Well, not the most, but, you know, going back to the graph mm -hmm. that you just showed there, this just shows how effective Sean Fain is at communicating. I mean, look at that thing up there with the, you know, the three people with the, the logos on their faces. Mm -hmm. This is meant for a digital age. I mean, this kind of stuff goes viral. And it's just amazing how he's running circles around the car companies when it comes to way, the way that he communicates. Who's going to get the rose? I don't know. Maybe Mary's right that it's mm -hmm. going to be Ford. That's possible. But, you know, we're thinking maybe the rose is something good, right? Yeah. Because of the TV yeah. program, yeah, yeah. The Bachelor. Sean Fain always does the opposite of what everybody thinks he's going to do. That's his strategy. Keep him off guard. I'm not sure what I read into so, it. So, Perry, the rose could end up meaning more factories closing down and more strikes against these factories. Sean Fain is on a roll with this. Is it working? Well, I know. If I'm going to give roses to my wife, I've done something wrong. So Sean Fain looks at the big three right now, and the reason I mentioned Stellantis is because we know that out of the three plants, or the three companies rather, uh, the plants that have seen the, the fewest number, and John, correct me if I'm wrong here, it seems like Stellantis, uh, the negotiations are going well. Yeah, but look at what, and this is Sean's strategy too, you know, he strikes all three, then he leaves one out. He left Ford out and he goes after the other two. And now Stellantis has given him some concessions. So he's leaving them out and going after the other two. And so, I, you know, I say this is classic operant conditioning. You know, this is B.F. Skinner. This is Pavlov ringing the bell. You know, this is trying to get the car companies to jump to get Sean's blessing. And, you know, it took Stellantis the longest to come to the table. You know, they, they've been playing extreme hardball, Stellantis has. Matter of fact, they're, they're the type of company that got very, very upset because Detroit City Council passed a resolution asking that they treat the community with respect and address those odors that are there on the east side. I mean, that's 
Stellantis. And so, so they've been playing hardball. So I'm surprised to see that they are now trying to come but, around. But let's be realistic. If you go in a negotiation, you can't start where you want to end up. Right. You're always going to have to start pretty high if you want to have any hope. And it's always been a strategy. So, you, just ask, about so you ask for a 40% pay raise and Brian Pennebacker, you end up with what? Well, you know well, what, uh, Perry, uh, Perry's right, but um, what, what he, he was originally asking for was outrageous and ridiculous. Now there's a couple things that all the auto, you know, having just retired recently from Ford Motor Company, uh, I still have a pretty good sense of what the workers really want. They want to get rid of the two-tier pay system badly. That has to go. It should have never got its foot in the door with any of the big three. And what happened was General Holyfield over at Chrysler or Fiat or Mercedes, whatever they were called at the time, was taking bribes. Uh, he's passed away now, and I know you're not supposed to speak ill of someone who's dead, but it's, a, it's an established fact. He was taking bribes, and that's how two-tier and part-time got its foot in the door. Should have never happened. So that had to go, and it should go, and it's, it's going to be gone. Something he asked for that's never coming back is pensions. Pensions is what drove GM and Chrysler off well, the it's cliff. It's driven a lot of, but, it's but, a lot but, of companies but, out of business. We're going to talk I, about what drove it off the cliff. you got to talk about who saved the auto industry, number one. It's amazing that someone from the auto industry. The auto industry. Oh, absolutely, it's the yes. workers. It's the That's right, it's the workers. workers. Now, it's not ridiculous when the CEOs have, I mean, compensation multiple times what the worker has. Sixty-two million dollars is what she made. It's ridiculous what she, they Mary made. Mary Barra and made sixty-two million and twenty-one. So thirty-four million dollars. Unreasonable ask for the UAW workers about the workers. Parity and equality in scale to what the CEOs are getting. Roop, I think so there's, now, there's a, but the chief, the, the, but chief, the question is 40%, is that too much? Well, look, well, well, is it too much? Well, no, you know but is it too much? Well, is it too well, much, do you about, think? Think it, about what these workers have been giving up for years. And look at how much Since 2008, they made concessions yes. to save these yeah. companies. Where is the compassion and they never from the General Motors, the Stellantis, and the Ford? Where is the compassion? Roop, if I'm not mistaken, excuse me, if I'm not mistaken, I'm the only Auto worker on on this panel tonight. You might be the only auto worker, but guess what? I'm a former union organizer of local 2500 Blue Cross Blue Shield. I'm wearing red today, tonight, in solidarity. Solidarity forever. Okay, so but, but let me ask you this. First of all, a little bit about how you changed the title. You you were uh, Brian Pennebecker. I have workers. Hold on one second. Auto workers for Trump. And I have to correct you, uh, Roop. You. Um, I haven't spoken to you since, but I, I, when I when I tried to bring some uh, Vivek Ramaswamy supporters into the MAGA camp, um, I'm the founder of Auto Workers for Trump, and I was trying to get some uh, Vivek Ramaswamy people into the camp. I was offering some support for Vivek. I got a phone call from Clayton Henson, who is Trump's campaign manager, and we had a long heart-to-heart, -heart, and after a two, three days, uh, really some uh, deep introspection. I, I realized 
otherwise I can help Vivek without abandoning my title as. Uh, Do you believe I, I, that Donald Trump has the best interests of the workers in oh, his heart? Oh, absolutely. You believe that? Uh, absolutely. Why, 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 two things. Let me, let me answer your question. Can I answer your question? Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me I'm getting, I'm almost done answering. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask the second part of the question here. I'm going to ask the second part of the question here. Can I answer your question? When Donald Trump came to town as the former president, he did not walk in solidarity with UAW workers who are on the picket line. A president should never interject himself into the negotiations between a company and the union when they're president, right? Well, yes, but Biden stuck his nose in. And Biden he, went to damn let, well can I, should Chief, have. can I finish my answer? But he damn well should have. Brian, go ahead. Brian, 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 because they've been mandated by the Biden administration that is going to destroy the auto industry as we know it. No more engines, no more drivetrains, and nobody wants to buy them, and there's no infrastructure there. Well, number two, number, number two, the other thing that's going to ruin it. When they drive labor costs up so high, mm -hmm. it increases the incentive for the companies to send those jobs overseas. I haven't seen one request by Sean Fain to about job security, plant uh, security, and keeping plants well, here. Sean Fain! Let's go to John McElroy for a moment because this Ford, this Ford deal that we just saw does have something in it in regard to uh, maintaining jobs even with EVs. Isn't yeah, yeah, that no, that, that, that's a big part of the, uh, what attrition. the UAW wants. And, no, and, and, and look, the car companies are talking about that, and the reason they are is you can't hire people these days. They need those employees they've got. As they start to build batteries and they need people to build them, they're going to take them out of engine well, plants and put them right you, there. You know, and Brian, I, I, I would I say, just, oh, I, let me we, finish this. You're part of the can't-do America. This can't-do all day. Nothing's going to change. This, this is going to be a disaster. No, it's not. Europe, you know but you should see the amazing amount of progress because that's being made greed. in this. That's no, why, that's forget why, the corporate greed. No, no, I'm talking no, no, about this transition to EVs. Wait, we're talking about transition to EVs. You have people to make EVs on the line than it does to make combustion engines. Yeah, but if you start insourcing and building all the batteries and the, uh, mining the raw materials well, here, processing, you're going to create those aren't the same amount of jobs, though. Those are going to be $16 an hour jobs. But there is a guarantee, and Ralph, do you believe it when you read things saying, look, you know, the UAW is going to be among the top 25% uh, of uh, in terms of pay of all jobs at the end of this contract by Ford, and that in just a few short years, some of these workers can make six figures. Is that good enough? It, it's the step in the right direction. We don't have a middle class anymore. And we cannot have a sustainable country without a sustained middle class. The we middle do have a middle class. class. No, 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 we do just not. Getting killed. You and and you're saying class people cannot live. No, I agree. You you're wanted speaking, to get in here for a minute. I'm so glad that he mentioned this class. Because there is no middle is the, class. Because the UAW workers and other union workers made this country yes. the middle class. They make up the middle class. It is because of corporate greed. I just cannot believe the amount that the workers gave since 2008 
there's no compassion for the workers. So where, where is that compassion? It is just corporate greed. Listen, most of the workers cannot go and make what uh, Mary Barger uh, makes, right? $111,000 per day, something like that. They just want to be able to take care of their families, just live from day to day. Oh, so I'm going to go through the row and ask you all one question to wrap this segment up, <laughs> and that is who gets the deal done first? And how long does this strike last, John? I don't know. Strike, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I don't know who gets it. I say, I say Ford gets the deal done first. That's one. I, I, yeah, I believe that Ford will get the, get the deal first. That's right. right. I, I don't think it matters. I don't think the company mm -hmm. should go running to socialist Sean Fain trying to meet every demand he makes. They're driving themselves right off a cliff, just like, like they did back in the late 90s and early 2000s. They'll go bankrupt. Well, first, Sean Fain is not a socialist. He's fighting for the rights of people to have it decent wage. Right. But I think Ford is going to be it. Well, we're going to have to see how this pans yeah, out. But, but you know, j just let me let me say this. The fact that General Motors has a has a fund where they are basically trying to starve out the workers, then maybe all of the UAW should be thinking about Collaborate. Yeah. We thank you for your Sean time Sean took a strike. I want to thank not the all the esteemed panel for joining us today. But, Let's well, hope that we don't have to talk about faith. this much longer Striking as we head into the rest resort. of this. We'll be watching this carefully. Not the first step. The UAW no, strike. First step sharing the spotlight. Hold on, my friends. Hold on. We're going to break. We're going to break. We'll talk more during the break. We're sharing the spotlight with the drama in D.C. The House tossing Congressman Kevin McCarthy aside as House Speaker. The first time ever someone's been voted out of that job. We're diving into the short and long term impacts and who could get the gavel next as that debate rolls on and this debate rolls on during the break. We'll be right back. Back now, Letta Rib diving into the historic move to vote Congressman Kevin McCarthy out of the House Speaker's chair. I'm joined now by attorney and a conservative advocate, Terry Johnson, Democratic insider and consultant, Alexis Wiley, State Senator Jim Runstead, a Republican, and Oakland County political science professor who's not choosing sides here. He's here to kind of give us a play-by-play -play on how this is looking from a political aspect. Dave Dulio, and live from D.C. via Skype, the one and only Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, who we will begin with. Uh, Congresswoman, uh, you one busy woman. You began this morning with a, a breakfast out in uh, Lathrop Village, and now you're back in Washington. Uh, look, the, the overarching story in Washington right now affects all of us. This kind of chaos you're seeing at the Capitol, um, not a proud moment for America, would you say? I think it's a sad moment. Uh, it's the first time in history that uh, the speakership has been vacated. I think, unfortunately, it was rules that were passed earlier this year and approved by the speaker himself that one member could make a motion to vacate the speakership. No, we are a representative body. It should be a far larger number, quite frankly, that you can make that motion. And I, I just think it's a sad time, and we need to move on quickly. The speaker has said there's Captain McCarthy and he's not running again. I would like to see us in a, a nonpartisan way or as a healing way as possible, move quickly to fill that, fill that spot and move on with the sure. Are you disappointed, Congresswoman Dingell, and the Democrats that voted along these eight Republicans to make this happen? No, I'm not, because quite frankly, uh, uh, the, Kevin McCarthy brought it on himself. Uh, we, it, 
was his people. It was a Republican caucus. It was unity within its own caucus. And this past weekend, we could talk about January 6th. We could talk about deals that were agreed to on raising the debt ceiling and, and not being honored. But on Saturday, we had 15 minutes notice when we were given a resolution to keep the government running, which we should never have been coming down to hours of that crisis to begin. We asked for 90 minutes to study it. We're not giving it. Our caucus, except for one person, supported it completely so that we could keep the government going, weren't in total agreement. And then Kevin McCarthy went on national television on Sunday and said has caused the crisis. And I just think he, he, he caused the situation. Democrats did, did not cause that situation, and people had a real problem. In our caucus, we had a thoughtful, reflective discussion. Yeah. And people who represent many different perspectives yeah, Congressman, we're like, we can't support I, I, I'm, I'm hearing you, uh, and although I know the audio is a little bit uh, uh, warped, but we, we do hear you clearly, and we, we thank you that thank you for your message there. Uh, Terry Johnson, when you listen to the Congresswoman talk about the fact that she says, no, that, that Speaker McCarthy brought this on himself, uh, this is on him. Uh, where, where do you sit on this, on all this stuff? You, you know, I do have to, and Congresswoman, I am going to agree with you here. You know, I, I think just about everything you said is correct. Unfortunately, um, Kevin McCarthy, in order to get the speakership, remember, went through 15 votes, I believe, for him to get this, and that was one of the things that he asked for. My problem is with the 4% of Congress, which are those eight members that did this. You know, it's kind of like you have a team, you know, you, you, you know, whether, let's say, you're playing for Michigan State, you call a play, and, you know, you're playing against Michigan, then all of a sudden you hand the ball off, and the Michigan State players turn around and tackle their own guy, right? That's the exact same thing that the Republicans did here. We have no one to blame but ourselves, and I think it's going to be a lot of fallout as it relates to this. So, Alexis Wiley, I mean, you, uh, you, you're you're an insider. You've, you, you've seen the game of politics play out at a local level, at a state level. You're watching this as well. Um, your commentary and, and what we just saw unfold there. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that the Congresswoman and Terry just said. I mean, I think really what we're seeing is really devastating, because really we're making history right now for all the wrong reasons. And what people want is lawmakers who are going to just do their jobs, right? Not just, you know, go after their own party and, and do something like for penalize someone for going across the aisle to keep the government open, to keep people working, to keep paychecks coming. That to me is just so shocking. And I think voters need to think about that when they're making decisions well, in Senator November. Senator Ron said, will they remember this? Do voters have the memory to say, yes, this is something that I didn't like, those eight people, I'm not happy with what they did, or, or will they just let it go? Well, those eight people are in just a few spots around the country. They're, the, the voters are going to be looking at their individual members and where they stand on a lot of issues. But I, I'm conflicted on a, a number of things. Number one, I'm not in Congress, so I don't know the backstory of everything that's happening. But I do know that a lot of the angst was this continuing resolution that uh, they just continue to pass. We are now spending uh, over $2 trillion a year. We're borrowing. It was, that's, that's on top of the spending. 
spending. That's what we're borrowing every year. We're 33 trillion in the hole. Uh, the uh, the interest rates now for 10-year bonds are at 5%, which is gobbling up the huge part of the national budget. The spending is like like, like over the cliff. You're, I'm hearing you say this, but when I hear Representative Matt Gates, I don't hear a lot of this. I hear this whole speech I you made. Promises, I'm the speech you just gave. But, but I'm saying I'm hearing also a lot of promises that he made to his constituents about what he would do, including help ouster uh, oust uh, McCarthy. If that is what right. he's, should people be able to run on that? Is that is that something that that should be legal? I I know that not just him, but there's a lot of people there, and a lot of people in this country that are looking at the numbers, say if we don't do something about spending, none of this matters. This is the bus going off the cliff, and the Democrats are going at 100 miles an hour. The Republicans say, let's do it at 95 miles an hour. It has to stop. Whatever it takes to stop this spending, this country is going to collapse into bankruptcy. It's, it's very serious, and no one in the media is telling the people. When they're going to find out is when it happens, and it's just, oh, the, the whole economy is melting down under the, the debt that we are generating from spending. This has got to be a discussion that has, has to Dave, happen in Congress. Dave, I want to bring you into the fold and talk about when you zoom out. I know you're not looking at uh, each and every issue here, but kind of looking at a macro thing here. I mean, uh, th this is a sad time for our country, would you say? It's a terrible time for the country. I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that people across the country, voters, constituents, this is exactly the kind of thing that they say they hate about American politics. This is what frustrates them. This is what, what makes them disengage when they see petty politics uh, being played. And I think there was some of that. There's there's uh, there's plenty of blame to go around on Capitol Hill for what went down on Tuesday. And, and I think that Republicans bear some blame, certainly the, the eight that voted against McCarthy. I think some of the some blame lies with Democrats who who could have uh, uh, kept us out of the chaos had just a handful of them voted to have McCarthy stay in the speaker's chair. Alexis, do you think that's true? I, I actually don't because Why? I don't think he should have been saved for displaying baseline competence that we'd expect. This is still a guy who you know handed over tapes related to January 6th, has done all <coughs> sorts of terrible things, and has proven himself not trustworthy. He was not to be saved. His own party took him out. Was it his whole party, though? It was a, it was a handful of members. They still took him out for, one, a terrible reason. We've all said we have a problem with the fact that he got taken out for uh, trying to work with work across the aisle. But bottom line, this is not Democrats' problem. This is something the Republican Party needs to reckon with. No, no, no that's, that's not true, because here's the thing. At some point, again, we're setting precedent, and that's the problem. And, you know, for the sake of the country, a few Democrats could have said this is not but, right. But let me get it. Let me time, get the Democrat. Ignore all the things that had been done. But, that but, track record that he said. This was is not this a about, guy let's bring in. Let's bring in Congresswoman Debbie Dingell to that point. Uh, it took. It could just take a handful of Democrats. We're hearing to actually help avert this situation. This sad day that you even agree is a sad day. Uh, why didn't more Democrats step in to try to do something? Do you think this was all on McCarthy, or do you think the Democrats had a hand in this? I think this was all on the Republican caucus. This was a Republican caucus issue. And I think had Kevin McCarthy not gone and faced the nation and been as blatant as he said and blamed everything on Democrats when not leaving the blame on this, this, I mean, we should never shut down the government. It's that kind of theatric drama in 
endangers our national security and everything else. And unfortunately, I think that was the final straw that made it so that no member felt that they could step off. Congresswoman, one last question for you before we let you go. You have, you have a busy night ahead. Uh, are you worried about the next few weeks here as we talk about, we still got to fund this government. Uh, the, are the relationships too fractured now in Congress to actually get the work done? We can't allow that to happen. I have been talking to my Republican colleagues all day. Uh, I believe we have to work across the aisle, but I will tell you the Republican caucus itself is very brave, and I hope that they are able to come together, and then we've all got to move forward getting this We've got 40 days to get a budget done to run this country, and that's what our job is. 40 days in county. We're going to be back on the other side of this break with final thoughts with our panel. Dave Dulio. Yeah, real quick, uh, really good discussion with everybody, but I think Democrats need to be careful what they wish for here. They're going to get a speaker, this next one, more conservative than Kevin McCarthy. Senator Runstead, who's the next speaker? Well, I think uh, Jim Jordan's got a good shot, but it's it's kind of amusing that uh, McCarthy said that Pelosi promised him on that one vote, he brought it up to her, she said, don't worry, we'll protect you, and she didn't. <laughs> Alexis, what's next? Voters need to pay attention to what's happening in, in Washington, make sure they vote and take action. Terry Johnson, who's the next speaker? Jim Jordan, potentially Steve Scalise, but as long as it's not a Democrat, I think we'll be okay. We thank all of our panelists for joining, their, joining us today with their thoughts on this edition of Let It Rip, and we thank you at home for joining us as well. The Let It Rip discussion continues online. Sound off on Facebook, Twitter, or Fox2Detroit.com.